0: before the land, and God is going to command them to send 12 men into the land to spy out the land, and then from there, we have a rising drama of tension in terms of a congregational members' meeting. It's not a one-day members' meeting. It's even better. It's a two-day members' meeting. So they get one session, they go sleep on it, almost like the Southern Baptist Convention, and then they get up the next day, get together to have a final decision as a group. And so coming off a members meeting and just listening to the, um, the sermon this morning, let's look here at Numbers 13, and I'm going to read several passages here from the story, um, but skip over some of the verses and, and just kind of, because it's a shorter time tonight, just kind of get some of the highlights to to build out the story, then draw some lessons from it for our lives. All right, so Numbers 13, verse 1, Yahweh spoke to Moses, and he said, send men, so here's a command, send men to scout out the land of Canaan I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the, at Yahweh's command. All the men, were leaders in Israel. These were their names, and it gives their names. Shamua from Reuben, uh, from the tribe of Reuben, Shaphat from Simeon's tribe, Caleb from Judah, Egal from Issachar, hoshea that's Joshua from Ephraim. Verse 9, Palti from Benjamin. I'm skipping over some of the details here. Gadiel from Zebulun, Gadi from Manasseh, Amiel from Dan, Sether from Asher, Nabi from Naphtali, and Guel from Gad. So those are the 12 men, Verse 16, these were the names of the men Moses sent to scout out the land, and Moses renamed Hosea, son of Nun, Joshua. When Moses sent them to scout out the land, he told them, Go up this way to the Negev, then go up to the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Here's a command: Be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. It was a season of the first ripe for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and scouted out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of to Hamath. They went up. Uh, through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were living. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they came to the Eshkol Valley, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Eshkol Valley. Eshkol Valley, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. At the end of 40 days, they return from scouting the land. So here's the setting. The mission is to go in the land and scout it out, and mission accomplished. They went there 40 days. They're courageous. They got some fruit, and they came back and brought back some grapes. And now the members' meeting. Now the congregational meeting, okay? Uh, So verse 26, now you're going to hear the report from the scouts. So day one is the rest of chapter 13. And then day two of the congregational meeting is in chapter 14, verses 1 through 10. So let's look at day one of this congregational meeting, beginning in verse 26. Then the men went back to Moses and Aaron, Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, or Kadesh. They went back, they brought back a report for them and the whole community, so it's the whole congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, we went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. Good report or bad report? That's good report, right? That's good news. Verse 28, however, uh oh, however, nevertheless, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. So, strong people, mighty people. Strong fortifications, great land, but this enemy is big, strong, and mighty, and intimidating. But that's not the only report, because there were 12, how many many, um, reporters were there, or how many scouts? Twelve Twelve from each tribe, right? And so, here's Caleb, which, what what tribe is Caleb from? You might not remember, somebody remember? Judah. Judah, yeah, so he's from the tribe of Judah. Verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now and take possession of the land because we cert- we can certainly conquer it. We can do it. Let's go. So that's the response. Okay, that's Caleb's response. Then the other reporter, scouts report, Now, so again, if you're in a, con- in a congregational meeting, you have one guy giving the report, everyone's starting to feel scared, another person gives report, let's go for it. Then another scout comes back, the men who'd gone up with him responded, the other, the other said, we can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. They said, quote, the land we pass through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are of great, are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers and we must have seemed the same to them. They're big, they're strong, we're little, we're grasshoppers. We felt like grasshoppers. They must, have looked, they must look at us as if we're the size of grasshoppers. Um, actually, the, this, this meeting continues. So we, we continue in verse 1. It's still there. Then the whole community, the whole congregation, broke into loud cries. Imagine a congregational meeting. Now everyone's crying. And the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation told them, the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if we had died in the wilderness. Why is Yahweh bringing us into the land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. I don't know why I was assuming this is two days. Maybe it's because they're crying all night but maybe it is continuing. So this is all one meeting, it seems. Okay, so now you see the bad report here. And now what are the people feeling? Tell me, what do you think? What do you see them? What are they feeling? What? Fear. Fear. What are they scared of? The big, people. the big people. They're not scared of death in a sense. What are they scared of? Because they said, why would we die in the wilderness? What are they scared of? No. Subjugation. What does it say? Yeah, it says here, um, they don't fear death by itself because they said um, they w- would, it would be better to die in the wilderness. They say here, uh, it would have been dead better if we died in the wilderness. Verse 3, why is Yahweh bringing us into the land to die by what? The sword. So now they're fearful of being killed by the sword in war. And then they're feared, like I would fear this if I was a, I mean as a man, as a husband, and as a father. What's their next fear? Our wives and children will become plunder. I mean, if you're someone who protects your, love your wife and you want to protect her, and you want to protect your kids, you're like, wait, we're going to go there. We're going to get slaughtered, and our wives and children are going to be their slaves. They're going to be plunder. It's better if we just died in the wilderness than dying this way, and then our wives and children are slaves. So they're overcome and overwhelmed by fear. They're scared. And as a dad... And as a husband, I can sympathize with when a fear grips me. I mean, uh, we, we were on the cruise and um, we got into this ridiculous conversation of if one of my kids fell over, what would we do? Me and my cousin, and we were going so detailed and we we're just debating what would be the best options. And Fran's like, okay, this is so stupid. You guys need to stop talking about this. Um, but like, but out of the grip of fear, like realizing that you really don't have a lot of time to think then. I'm like, no, I want to think about it now because if it never happened, I don't have time to think. I need to think about it right now. But it's just, the, but feeling the fear as a dad and imagining my child there, it, it easily gripped me. And I could, I could go there for, for hours and, and think about what I should do. Okay, so I could relate to this fear. So here they are, scared. And what do they say? Uh, they want to appoint a leader to go back to Egypt. Verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the israelite community i keep saying congregation because it is the word congregation or gathering or assembly but it's translated here as community but the whole or whole assembly there's the word assembly the whole assembly of the israelite community of the israelites joshua son of caleb so now what's the congregational decision at this point in the in the story let's appoint a different leader leader, not moses not aaron not joshua or caleb let's appoint a new leader and let's go where back to egypt everyone that's where the congregation majority is leaning in this congregational meeting so what do leaders do what would good leaders do in this situation here's what these leaders did in verse five Then moses and aaron fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the israelite community they didn't say anything though they just fall face down okay so that's moses's leadership fall face down when this happens okay thanks moses joshua's joshua's uh Strategy, verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scout out the land, they tore their clothes. There's a congressional members meeting strategy. Leaders tear their clothes in grief, in mourning. Okay, that's a cultural thing here. They tore their clothes and said to the Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. An extremely good Land. If Yahweh is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. He's going to give it to us if he's pleased with us. Verse 9, now they're talking to the whole congregation. Congregation, Israelite congregation, only don't rebel against Yahweh. And don't be, here's the key word, at least the feeling, right? And don't be what? Afraid, don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. That land won't devour us, they won't devour us, we will devour them. Let's go. Their protection, continuing the quote, their protection has been removed from them, and Yahweh is with us. Yahweh is with us, not them. Don't be afraid of them. That's a speech. So close it right there. Don't look at your Bible. Just look up here now. So that's a speech. I think that's a compelling speech. I feel like I'm ready to go in line myself, right? Hearing something like that, yes, Yahweh's with us. Let's go. So here's the big climax. Here's the climax of the whole story. It's all reaching to this point. You have a back and forth, right? They give their opinion. Caleb gives his opinion. Um, they push back and say, no, we, we're, uh, we're going to die. Let's cry all night. So they start crying all night. They're scared for their wives. They're scared for their children. I can relate to that. They're freaked out and scared and panicking. They have panic attacks, anxiety. All that is, is dominating the men and the whole community. So um, they're crying all night. They want a new leader. That's the way to deal with our fear is to run away. Let's run away. And then, God said, or then Caleb stands up and Joshua and says, no, let's not run away. God is with us. They're the ones who need to be running because Yahweh is with us. Let's go take the land. So what is the congregational decision? Here it is. It's before the congregation. You've heard both sides, pros and cons. The motion is there. What's the vote? What is the decision of the congregation? Look at verse 10. Now, I don't like the word while. You take out the word while, it's, all the other translations are better than the CSB at this point. Okay, Then or but. Then the whole community, after responding to that, that, that thing, then the whole community, what? what? What's their decision? They threaten to what? Kill them. There it is. If you don't shut up, Joshua, we're going to kill you. Caleb, be quiet. Do you want stones in your face and all of your body until we kill you? No? Okay. Stop talking. So they threaten them with death. We're going to kill you if you keep talking. We want to go where? Where do they want to go? Back to Egypt. Let's go with plan A. Let's find a new leader. That is the end of the, that's the climax. That's the decision point. And it turns in the middle of this verse with the second phrase of this verse, part two. So someone else enters into the congregational meeting. Who is it? The glory of Yahweh appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. So God shows up. Not that God wasn't there, he's omnipresent, but God shows up in a tangible, visible way where his glory, and the word glory, does anyone know the Old Testament word for glory? Shekinah. Kavod is the Hebrew word, but does anyone know what it means, like the sense of that word? Heavy, Heavy weighty. The problem in this congregational meeting is God is there the whole time, but is he, is he weighing heavily on their hearts in light of this debate and fear? No, God is so light. He's almost ignored. He's marginalized. He's not there. He is not glorious. He is not. He's a lightweight. He's a feather. Just brush God off. He's, not a, he's a non-factor in our decision. And all of a sudden, the weightiness, the glory, the heaviness of God appears, and he asserts the weight of his presence right there in the members' meeting, in the congregational meeting. So what happens? Well, verse 11, now, so that's the turning point. Now God shows up, and so that has now turned the story, and now we have the, the resolution. What's going to happen? So, so now that they've made their decision, they want to kill the leaders, they want to go back to Egypt, God has to be brought in. Um, in the climax did they pass or fail did the congregation pass or fail failed Failed. and so what's the final response and resolution here it is Yahweh said to Moses how long will these people despise me how long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I have performed among them I will strike them with a plague and destroy them then I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they are so God wants to kill them all but Moses replied to Yahweh the Egyptians will hear about it for by your strength you brought up this people from them then they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land they have heard about they have heard that you Yahweh are among these people how you Yahweh are seen face to face how your cloud stands over them and how you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night if you kill this people with a single blow the nations will have heard or that have heard of your fame will declare since Yahweh wasn't able to bring this people into the land he swore to give them he has slaughtered them in the wilderness. So the p- conclusion of the Canaanites will be Yahweh was unable. That's Moses' point. So then uh, Moses continues, so now may my, may, may my Lord's power be magnified just as you have spoken. Yahweh is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. Huh, it's the same thing Scott quoted to us from Psalm 103 which is a quote from Exodus 34. Yahweh is slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, forgiving iniquity and rebellion, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please, here's a prayer of confession, pardon the iniquity of this people in keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, just as you have forgiven them from Egypt until now. Yahweh responded, I have pardoned them as you requested. So does God forgive them? Yes. Yet, as I live and as the whole earth is filled with Yahweh's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give to their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. There's God swearing they will not enter the land. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Malachites and Canaanites are living in the lowlands, turn back tomorrow and head for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. So head back towards Egypt. Not that you're going to Egypt, but head back in that direction. Verse 26, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron, How long must I endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me? I have heard the Israelites' complaints that they make against me. Notice they didn't really bring Yahweh into it when they're blaming Moses, but God's taking it personal. You're complaining against me. Tell them, as I live, this is Yahweh's declaration, I will do to you exactly as I heard you say. You want to die in the wilderness? Your corpses will fall in, in this wilderness. All of you who are registered in the census, the entire number of you, 20 years old or more, because you have complained about me. I swear, here's God swearing, I swear that none of you will enter the land I promised to settle you in, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. I will bring your children whom you said would become plunder, because that was your fear, that would be my fear, my five kids becoming plunder and slaves. I will bring your children whom you said would become plunder into the land that you rejected, and they will enjoy it. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the penalty for your acts of unfaithfulness until all your corpses lie scattered in the wilderness. You will bear the consequences of your iniquities 40 years based on the number of the 40 days you scouted the land a year for each day. You will know my displeasure. I, Yahweh, have spoken. I swear that I will do this to the entire evil community or evil congregation that has conspired against me. They will come to an end in the wilderness, and there they will die. So the men Moses sent out to scout the land and who returned incited the entire community um, to complain about him by spreading a negative report about the land, those men who spread the negative report about the land were struck down by Yahweh, killed immediately. Only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, remained alive of those men who went to scout out the land. And that's the end of the congregational meeting. What a congregational meeting. Ending up with 10 people dead by the end of the meeting, immediately, by God. This is supposed to be a 15-minute message, and that telling story was 19 minutes. So let me just close. Let me just close with um, some application, okay? Uh, if you're scared and gripped by fear in terms of the, the land that John preached about this morning is entering the final rest. There, if you're going to follow Jesus into this final rest, there is tribulations with following Jesus. There's a cost to following Jesus. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's painful to follow Jesus. It's scary to follow Jesus into the promised rest. But their call was to follow Yahweh into that rest. And they were gripped by fear to the point that they said, you know what? It's easier... To just give up. I mean, life in Christ is hard, and it does seem easier to just give up. If I could just compromise and just not care about obeying and trusting the Lord and following Him, if I could just cut out some verses in the Bible and just kind of put together my own version of Christianity that's like 75% devoted, but if I could just kind of keep these compromises and just live my life, then that would be okay. But like following Yahweh, following Christ wholeheartedly, Denying myself, taking my cross, and following him every day for the rest of my life with God's people, that's too hard. That's wearisome. That's tiring. And it's scary. It's scary. Fill in in the the blank with your fears. I I mean, I'm tempted to start filling in with some of my fears that make it scary for me. But for the sake of time, the, the, the question for them was who were they going to follow, right? And the question for you this evening is... Will you trust God? So here's what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to make every effort to be, to use John's phrase from uh, Hebrews 4.11, to be conscientious or to make every effort to enter the land. That's what God is calling you to do, to make every effort to enter into his promise by following Christ all the way to the end. Here's the question for you. Will you trust God? and move forward in faith and obedience, leading to more faith and more obedience and more communing with God all the way into the Promised Land without any compromise? Or will you stone the messengers who call you to follow him? Will you harden your heart when God speaks as in the day of rebellion? Or will you take God's word and edit it to fit your own agenda and take a lot of it to to pacify your conscience? but to not take all of it and actually unfaithfully following the Lord. Will you trust the message and the messengers and soften your heart to God's word and go forward, or will you retreat in fear and weariness for the sake of ease? God is calling you to trust Jesus and make every effort to lean on Jesus and follow Jesus and obey Jesus at great pain and cost yourself and keep pressing into the promised land. Christians, the good news for us is that we, in our failure, can't, we don't have the strength to make it, but Christ, as truly human, obeyed and trusted the Lord and softened his heart and listened softly to God's word regularly and kept his eyes on the prize all the way to the end. He did what you and I and what our church fails to do, and yet he was cut off from the land. On the cross, he was put outside the gate, hanging in darkness, and screaming the truth, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, abandoned me? The only one who never wavered in faith, who the only one who deserves to be in the land, was cut off from the land of the living, so that we can be forgiven of our sins, if we would trust in this Jesus and turn from our sins and lean on him. And then he promises, just like we learned from Hebrews 4.16, that he will be there as our high priest to give us access to pray every day so that we might receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of what? Need. Because it's, we are needy going through this wilderness into the promised land, right? But Christ has secured not only our salvation and our destination, he has secured every mercy and grace you need every day to get there. That's good news for us. Doubters, fearers, failures. If you're not a Christian, the good news for you is that Christ is inviting you into this rest as well. This death that he died for sinners and this resurrection from the dead is also for you. So if you're not a Christian, God is calling you to realize that you're a sinner. To feel the weight of your sin against the holy, glorious God. To repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And he will save you and make you part of his family to walk with him. That's the call, brothers and sisters. Trust Christ every step of the way. Go to him for mercy and grace to help you in the time of need and strive to enter that rest. Don't fall back in fear. If you fall back in fear, you will make shipwreck of your faith. You'll miss the opportunity. And ultimately, God will be against you because you falling back in fear is you against God. You, have de- you, would, have, you would have functionally declared war on God. And you will lose that war. But if we trust in Christ and walk with him daily, we will experience his mercy and grace. We'll share life and share Jesus together. And we will enter the promised land by his grace. Let's pray. Father, take these words and hide it in our hearts that we would not sin against you. Forgive us for our fear, for our compromise, for our listening to serpent-like voices of fear, anxiety, panic, doubt, and disobedience towards you, really attacking your holiness and your trustworthiness. Help us to silence those voices and harden our hearts against those lies and harden our hearts against those serpent-like, reasonable um, ideas and soften our hearts to listen to you and receive your word, and walk with you day by day together. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.